In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, and joining me today to talk about Tomorrowland is my co-host, Patrick. Hey, everybody. This film did not do so well at the box office, and we'll give our thoughts about why that might be, as well as talk a lot about imagination and hope. For sure, Aaron. These, uh, those themes are very prominent in this one, and it'll be fun to dissect what we can get out of a movie like this. If you're listening to us for the first time, we do talk full spoilers in our review, so please either have watched the film before you listen or accept that we may give away the ending. We also invite you to check out our library of episodes, minisodes, and guest appearances. Just this week, we got a chance to launch our shiny new website that is much more visually appealing and easy to navigate. Uh, go visit it and feel free to leave us comments telling us what you think at feelinfilm.com. Oh yeah, it is a huge upgrade over what we had before. And I just want to tell you publicly how much I appreciate the work you did in creating it, Patrick. Thank you. I was glad to do it. It was definitely a labor of love. Well, it shows. We also launched our YouTube this week. So if you guys want to subscribe and listen to our episodes there, that is now an option as well. Okay. Now that announcements are done, we can get started. We always talk a little bit about what we've been up to the past week. And if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and kick us off because I don't have a lot of deep stuff to say this week. Do it. All right. So uh, like I'm saying, I don't really have a ton to talk about. I don't have one big thing that has been, you know, taking all my time away. This week's been a lot of balance for me, and I've kind of gotten back into a flow of giving a little bit of time to different entertainment type of hobbies. Uh, Pokemon Go is still getting a good chunk of my time. Still super fun when the servers are up. <laughs> I'm loving that one, <laughs> but it's been a challenge. Um, I have, you know, watched some older movies. Back to the Future 2 I watched again. I am, 40! Oh, my goodness, man. I don't know about how well that one held up. <laughs> um, I Am Legend, watched that one again. Just a couple really random stuff that, you know, I just either got an uh, inkling to watch or happen to see on TV. And then I've been doing some video gaming. I uh, just played through an entire game this weekend actually called Undertale. Uh, it's it's a little indie game, kind of an RPG-ish type game but it's well received the, the the hype for this game people are saying it's like their favorite game of all time because it's got this big emotional response to it and really? I, I did not have the same emotional response to it so if i kind of had to check myself and i was like hmm, i've played a lot of games in my life and i've had a big emotional response to a lot more games than than this one gave me but it was still a good experience uh i gotta say though so the one thing i do want to talk about briefly is you know, part of our Battlestar Galactica watching process right now, for those that don't know, Patrick and I have not seen the whole whole show. So we have been watching, you know, one or two episodes a week here and there for the last several months. We are in somewhere in the middle of season three at this point. Mm -hmm. And we just watched last week uh, an episode called Exodus Part Two. And I've got to tell you, it was probably tied at least for my favorite episode of television that I've ever watched. Um, I I cannot recall another episode, a single episode of TV, that gave me so much laughter, tears, intrigue, drama, 
comedy, mystery, everything you can imagine was rolled up into this one episode. And it it was one of the rare pieces of television that I just immediately wanted to watch it again. Um, and I'm not that kind of guy. So that is saying a lot. And uh, it, we, I'm just, I'm loving the show. I'm loving the way that we're going through it episode by episode together and being able to talk about it as we go. And I highly recommend that format for anybody out there. If you have friends or family that are into the same shows you are, it's a great way to watch a show and get to connect with someone on a regular weekly basis. I would have to agree. And I'm really intrigued because uh, Exodus did the same thing for me as well. And I wonder, you know, I'm, you know, we try, <laughs> Aaron and I will both tell you that we try not to look on the internet when we try to find some information about the show because we're afraid we might get spoiled. And so the only thing that I ever look up is the episode guide on Wikipedia. And I try not to go too far down on the episode list because it will obviously give away things. But I'm surprised at how much was in this episode uh, because it makes me wonder, there's only basically a season and a half left. And so I'm wondering how much more amazingness can we get from this? And so if it continues to amp up, I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm giddy about that. Yeah, I don't know if I can survive it, if it can, can amp this up anymore. I was, I was on the edge of my seat ready to have a heart attack several times <laughs> during that one. If you find around Christmas time that we're not putting out any episodes, you know what happened. <laughs> Battlestar killed us. It did. So it was a good death. Ah, <laughs> uh, totally. So what about you, man? What have you been doing? Well, I, I got a chance to watch a couple of things this week. Um, uh, one is, of course, a documentary because I love documentaries. And um, the other one was a film from 2009. So not too far back, but still um, still fairly recent and um, kind of in the past or whatever. But first one, uh, the documentary that I watched was uh, recommended by my friend Courtney, a listener since the first episode and also my coworker. It's called Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. It came yes. out in 2015. Have oh, you seen that? No, but I want to so bad. I've been, <laughs> I've known about it for a long time and I haven't got a chance to watch it yet. Yeah. So I, I got a chance to watch it last week and it's really good. And essentially what it is, is it's a documentary that talks about the, these groups of kids, this group of kids that, um, I guess back in 83 or 84, shortly after Raiders came out, they decided to recreate the movie shot for shot. And this happened over the course of like eight summers. So over the course of eight years and the documentary follows that history, but it also follows them trying to get a project started um, where they can actually shoot one final scene throughout these, that entire eight years. They never got a chance to film the famous airplane scene with the, uh, with Indy and the bald guy, the big fight scene right after he gets out of the, the snake pit or whatever. And so the documentary follows their journey in getting that made, spoiler alert, and it also chronicles just their individual history with the movie and what it did for them and how it was an incredible, just, just how it affected them individually. And there's some really great individual stories that, um, that you find out about with regards to each one of the individual uh, um, filmmakers. So yeah, I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can you can rent it for like four dollars. I went ahead and bought it uh, because it was just that good. Um, so, but it's like seven dollars or something to buy. So I would highly recommend to uh, to do that. The other film that I wanted to recommend was one that kind of came out of nowhere. It was in my um, it, it came. I was after I'd watched Raiders. I wanted to look at some other Prime stuff that was available, um, and it was kind of late at night. And I ran across this movie <laughs> that had. A really interesting title. 
It was called Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel. Uh, it came out in 2009. And um, I may be late to the party, but I, I'd never heard of this movie. And I read the premise, and it was it basically said something like, while drinking at a local bar, these three just kind of goofy guys um, attempt to navigate a time travel conundrum. And I'm like, okay, bars and time travel. What could go wrong, right? And <laughs> I was incredibly entertained. It has a very doctor who feel to it hmm. uh mostly be, for me because it's it takes place with a you know a few british guys a couple of british guys i think one's from like ireland or something like that but anyway it's about these it's really about these three guys that um they work at like a theme park and one of the guys gets fired and they go to a pub and um one of the three is an aspiring writer who has all these just ridiculous well at least ridiculous to other people ideas and his two friends are always there to just kind of ridicule them and encourage them at the same time. And at one point about um, maybe about 15 minutes into the film, one of the, they're all hanging around a bar and one of the guys, the main character, quote unquote, goes into a bathroom to, or one of the main characters goes into a bathroom, comes out and <laughs> something has happened. The bar has exploded. There's been an explosion and everybody's dead. And, and it's like, what just happened? So he runs back into the bathroom and then comes back out and everything's normal again. And so that's the kind of setup you get for the entire movie. But what they do is um, it's, it's quirky and it's kind of fun. There's got a little there's a little romantic comedy in it because there's a female character as well. And um, but the the way in which they incorporate a lot of science fiction and science fact is really interesting and I find my, I found myself just really, really enjoying it. So if you guys get a chance, it's on Amazon Prime. It's free to Prime members. It's called Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel. Interesting. That sounds like one that I definitely would be interested in checking out. I haven't ever even heard of it, so I will have to look at it and see if I can find some time. How long is it? Do you know? Do you, off top of uh, just, uh, just under an hour and a half, so not very long at all. Cool. So that's great. That's a that's a nice little extra thrown in kind of thing for a weeknight sometime when I have free time. For sure, man. For sure. Cool. Well, with that said, I guess we should go ahead and get on it. Uh, let's get to our Tomorrowland episode, which has a little bit of time travel in it itself at, toward the end. Uh, it's not really a time travel movie, I wouldn't say, but you know, the understanding of time plays into this film in a big way. I want to start with the critical reception to this movie. This is a second chance pick, which by definition for us is a time for us to take a, take a movie that did not do as well at the box office or did not do as well with reviews and point out the positive aspects of the film and then also discuss maybe why it went wrong. And in this case, it's a this holds a pretty big title. This film is widely regarded as the biggest Disney flop, both from a financial standpoint and from an expectation standpoint. It narrowly beat out uh, the Lone Ranger remake, or I don't know if it was a remake, but uh, you know, uh, reimagining, I guess, with Johnny Depp in it. I have not seen it. 
but it, it narrowly beat that one out as the bigger box office loss for Disney. And it's kind of surprising to me because I don't think it's anywhere near that kind of bad. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you thought. Did you enjoy the film? I actually really did. I had a an incredible reaction to it, um, especially after um, just thinking about it. And uh, for the purposes of the podcast, revisiting a couple of points in in the movie. Um, but f- on the whole, I remember finishing it and going, that was pretty satisfying, especially for what I interpreted the creative team as what they were trying to do. And I think it came from a place of maybe respect uh, from a storytelling perspective, but I actually enjoyed the the story as a whole. Um, I know that there's some criticism. And even earlier today, I was reading some, uh, some comments between, between you and, and one of our listeners regarding the fact that a movie titled Tomorrowland should take place where in Tomorrowland and how we only got maybe a glimpse of it. Um, and it's interesting that you, the, I was reading your comments back and forth uh, with him and it reminded me of a scene with Casey when she got that, what I think Frank called uh, George Clooney, Frank, you know, George Clooney's character, Frank called a commercial or an invitation to a party that never happened. Um, And she said, you know, you don't show people all this stuff and then you don't deliver. That's basically not fair. And I felt like you guys were basically going back and forth, reiterating that same comment about the movie itself. It felt a little bit meta reading your comments, knowing that that took place in the movie. And in some ways, I can agree. I can agree that if you're, if you're going to say or have a movie called something, you, you, I don't, I don't want to say you have an obligation to show that, but you're definitely giving a false sense of what the movie might be about. Whether or not you blame that on the studio or on the creative team or on the people that make the trailers, the fact is the end result uh, was just that. You got something and expected something else. For me, though, I never saw the movie in theaters. This was the first time I'd seen it for this show. And so a year removed from the trailers, a year removed from all the buzz around it, positive or negative, I didn't have that weight of what to expect. I didn't have an expectation. I just said, okay, it's Tomorrowland. I know there's something about the future in there. I know it stars George Clooney and the girl from Under the Dome. So that's kind of appealing. And so I went in it with a little bit of a cleaner slate than a lot of people. So maybe that affected how I came away from it. What about you? Well, yeah, and that's and that's really what I wanted to talk about right here at first is the marketing and the the reason for the critical backlash because I mean the majority of these reviews that are creating these Rotten Tomato scores and these Metacritic scores and these other aggregates all over the internet are things that are happening when the film is first out when it's in the box office and of course those then also contribute to how much of an audience will pay to go see a film which you know impacts its box office numbers etc etc it's this big rolling snowball so the there's a couple quotes that i found that i found i I thought were pretty interesting one of them start with was from the walt disney studios motion pictures uh distribution chief his name is dave hollis and his comment on the film's performance was tomorrowland is an original movie and that's more of a challenge in this marketplace we feel it's incredibly important for us as a company 
and as an industry to keep telling original stories. Now, I completely agree with him. There are a littered number of sequels all over the place. If you look at this summer's just history, just what, what films are doing well between April and August, it's superhero retellings, it's part twos, even of horror series, The Conjuring Part Two. You know, it's animated sequels, Finding Dory. It's just one after another after another of norm of a property being regurgitated without having something new and fresh being brought to the table. And so that's something that I think definitely contributed to this is that audiences are audiences have a hard time with that when it comes in this genre, right? In this type of adventure excitement type of genre. But with the marketing aspect, it's much more about the expectation setting. And that's what the thread was going back and forth uh, today that you were reading and you were referencing when a film, when a film's studio. And again, you know, I I fully agree that this might not be the director's fault. This might not be the actor's fault, but when the studio portrays a film with its images and its trailers and everything they say is around the city of Tomorrowland, this idea of this special place that is so amazing and we don't get to be there. The the majority of our time spent there is it's completely in, you know, shambles. It's completely broken down. It's completely ruined. And while I understand it and I actually enjoy the film, maybe I should preface all of this by saying I enjoy the film. I like the film. It's a good movie. I've watched it twice now. I have a good time with it, but I feel like we do get shorted and not given enough time in Tomorrowland. Um, And that's just, that's just me. And I think that the marketing contributed to that because it impacted my expectations for the film, regardless of whether I wanted them to be impacted or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And I guess the next step is because your expectations were thwarted. Does that diminish your, your takeaway from the movie as a whole? And this goes back to us talking about the rewatchability of a film and probably why we give a movie a second chance in this case for someone who has seen it once and saw it again for the purposes of this podcast, knowing what to expect going into it, did your opinions on the movie as a whole change? Did your opinions on certain things change? I mean, we can get into those small things that they did, but just as a general statement, did your opinions change? Yes. I, I think that I was able to enjoy the film more by being able to take it on its own merit uh, than I was the first time I watched it the first mm-hmm. time when I was expecting and, and, and also, and, and to the, you know, what I will say to the people who may think that it's not the filmmaker's fault, the scenes that I point to is the opening, the entire opening of this film is Tomorrowland and it's awesome. It is one of the coolest parts of the movie. And mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, we're going to go away for almost an hour and a half. I mean, the movie is incredibly long, so we're going to go away now for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And we're just going to run around on Earth. And, and great great things happen. Interesting things happen. But it's it's like it teased it to us. You know? And then it was like, hey, here's this awesome place. Yeah, the next time you see it, though, eh, you're not going to get to enjoy it. You just, you know, have to wait an hour, and then you get to see it all run down and broken. And I think right. that that was a misstep for me. I think, mm-hmm. and, and all I'm saying is that I do understand some of the criticism for this film. Because I think that 
it had the potential to be a lot more for me than it did. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the audience audience members or viewers were like me and wanted more Tomorrowland. Sure. That's for sure. Especially when you base it on a property that I think people are familiar with by default. Like most people know what Tomorrowland is and you can't expect people to just sort of ignore that when going to see this movie that they have at least somewhat of an expectation regarding what they know in real life as what Tomorrowland is or the idea of Tomorrowland is. Yeah. And you know, to get off of this now and, and leave the criticism talk in the dust because that's just a little bit about why we think it happened and what we think impacted the reason for this movie's response. But we both said we enjoyed it. We liked it. We had a good time with it. Uh, we were entertained. The point you just made is one of the main reasons that I was entertained, man. Tomorrowland is my favorite part of Disneyland. I mean, this is where Space Mountain is. This is where Star Tours is. This is where Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters is. Um, I yeah. absolutely, it's where Finding Nemo's Undersea Voyage is when it's actually in operation. Uh, like two out of my three times at Disneyland has been down. But like that is my favorite area of Disneyland. I love it. I could just stay in there like a whole day and just rotate through the rides. Yeah. So it, it was exciting for me to get to even see some of this like realized and the, the ideas of how this place came to be uh, right. were really awesome. Yeah, I, I think particularly when um, when Casey is going through, again, I'm going to call it the commercial, when she's, she's riding through that, um, my favorite part visually and just ambitiously wanting to have that in my life was the uh was the scene when she walked when she when she's riding on the i guess the 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 monorail or the the levitating thing and she sees the different pools that people are diving into and they dive into like there's like a <laughs> they dive into a pool and they swim out the bottom of the pool into another pool. And I'm like, I want those. That is probably the greatest water park in the world. And I want to be a part of it every day of my life if I can. Um, but I, I definitely agree. I think, I think what Brad Bird and company did for that particular set of, of, of that scene, those two and a half minutes. And by the way, I know when she looked down at her watch or looked down at the pen and she saw two minutes left or something, I literally looked at the clock on, on the uh, on the television to see if it was going to be in real time, if it was actually going to be two minutes before her timer went off, and it was close. It was like a minute fifty or something like that. But anyway, but I thought in that in that two and two and a half minutes, we got a sense of awe and wonder that I think we were supposed to get. I think I think he succeeded. Uh, the visual effects team and everybody that was involved in that succeeded in giving us a sense of saying, "Man." We're living in 2016 and this still, this still feels so futuristic. Like I want to live here. It's, it's like his vision of Tomorrowland was like, let's see, let's, let's think of the most just crazy ideas we can come up with and let's put them on the screen and let's make them beautiful. And I think he really succeeded in that. It was great to watch and great to see. Yeah. I mean, the movie 100% uh, inspires in both invention and imagination uh, it 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 takes you to a place of hope and it that's what it's one of the biggest themes of the entire film right is this this idea that 
invention is dying and imagination is dying and we don't we don't use it anymore we just are uh, mindless sheep who have accepted the fate that the world is what it is and it can't be changed um, which is interesting because it's pretty relevant to our society right now like we have all kinds of just completely awful things happening in the world today and we also have scientific you know global um environmental issues that we have to deal with uh, polar ice caps melting and global warming you know other other types of these these things that we need solutions to uh and this movie and, and yet we're shutting nasa down and we're 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 taking funding away from space exploration and this movie is trying to promote those things i think right i mean i think if tomorrowland had released this year um, let's let's forget the the marketing aspect. Let's say we we kind of we got a whole picture of what Tomorrowland was about. Let's say we saw some of those questions being asked that they're asked in the movie. I think if it had released this year around this time, in light of everything going on in the U.S. and around the world, all that craziness, I think it might have been received differently. I think it might have been something that um, was seen as sort of a a a call to arms, a call to look at the world differently, um, and you know it, it it's just one of those things that you know like we're all creative people, whether we know think it or not, we all we are we are creative people, and and we have the capacity to pursue creative, uh, not even just originality, but creative ideas and, and greatness. But maybe that holdback is fear or or failure of of being embarrassed or whatever. Maybe it's the lie that, that we're limited when we're not because we're created. Um, you know, our lives aren't mistakes and we have the ability to do great things that are sort of specific to us. And I think that this movie speaks to the fact that um, as people specific, and I think Casey is the, is the example of that, that um, she's sort of the, the, if you want to call it the allegory, the, um, the symbol of that, that there's a sense that when we have the capacity to think differently about the world around us and to see it not just, I mean, yes, in a positive light, but to see it as a means to be offensive and not just ask the question or not just to comment on the world, but to be able to change the world. If we say the world is in shambles, she asks the question, what can we do about it? There's a great scene in a mix of just hilarious montages where she has teacher after teacher after teacher that is just talking about how the world has just gone to crap. And by the end of it, she's raising her hand the whole time and she finally gets called on and she says, well, can we change that? You know, what can we do? And then the bell rings and of course she's not given the answer. But I think that who she is represents, I think, the best of who we could be as people because we have that capacity. And I think that there's a lie that we're told that we're not, that we're somehow insignificant or we're not as good as this person or that person or we can never be this or that. And and that's ridiculous to me. And I think that's where I connected with personally. Yeah, I think that is an important lesson. And I think that, you know, she does embody that. Um, but she also, you know, <laughs> to play devil's ad advocate for a second, I, you know, we, we all there's the the popular phrase here is you know you can do anything you want to do you can be anybody you want to be right and that's kind of somewhat of the message that comes across i don't know that that's entirely what the film is trying to say specifically mm -hmm. uh, because i think that the film is much more trying to say 
be creative no matter what, and the world will be a better place. Not, we can solve all of these problems necessarily, but, you know, we are going to be a better society in general. We are going to evolve and do better things and bigger things, and we are going to be able to um, overcome some obstacles. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to uh, be solved, because, I mean, Tomorrowland existed... I don't know, did they explain the history? See, that that was one of the, the parts that I didn't get was, when did Tomorrowland get started? Who started it? Um, you know, How long has this place been around? Kind of those... Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I guess Edison and... Was it an Edison and Tesla? Was there the, there's the group that supposedly started it? It was a, it was a, well, the, the exposition about Tomorrowland comes from a number of different places. That's one of them. Yeah. Is that it got started with those original four. They were, um, but it was explained, it was explained either earlier or later in the movie. So we get a, we get an idea that it, it was started and it was started, it was never started to be a place where people would end up. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't. And, and I, and I think that if we go back to looking at Tomorrowland as a place, I think knowing that gives, gives that idea a little bit more liberty because for Bird and Company, Tomorrowland was never about the place. I mean, it became, it, it was a means to an end because his idea, Bird and Company's idea, their idea was that the, it needed to be a place to function for other things to happen, like ideas to flourish without being edited by criticism or by the lack of resources. And he never wanted, at least from my interpretation of watching the movie, he never wanted Tomorrowland to be the destination. It needed to be a spot where things could happen in order that the world that we live in, that these guys lived in, could become better as a result of not being hindered by other things. Right. I think that's a fantastic point um, and, and, a, and a very good observation. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's, that's part of where the marketing didn't do it justice. Um, like we were saying, because if, you know, that's not what we thought Tomorrowland was going to be. And mm-hmm. once you do, once you view it that way, the way you're describing it, uh, you can, you can sit back and enjoy the road trip type of movie ride a lot better mm-hmm. because you understand that you're not supposed to spend all this time there. I guess where I would, I would urge some sense of, uh, realism when watching though. Um, the movie is very inspirational and it, it's, idealistic but the fact is that you know the creative people that are brought to Tomorrowland so that they can flourish their ideas can flourish and that they can create and do all of these things does not mean that all of us are you know capable of that kind of creation for some of us we have much much more personal and much smaller scale creative talents and I think that that is important. And that the very the end of the movie, I think they really captured that because it's not just about the kid that can create a jetpack at eight years old. It's about the artist that can play the guitar on the street. It's about mm-hmm. the person planting pot potted plants on the sidewalk. You know, it's about um, a hiker and it's, it's about all of these different smaller talents and smaller creativity 
um, types that are that are included in it when it gets started back up. And I think that that's important because it's e- it could be easy to go to attach ourselves to Casey when Casey's a genius. Casey's a one in a million type of mind, right? In the mm-hmm. way that she thinks, at least in, according to this movie. And that's not what all of us are going to be. But we can contribute to the overall betterment of society and the betterment of the world if we are all, um, I, what is, what's the word, nurturing and utilizing our creative talents and not suppressing them or believing that they're not any good. Gotcha. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. So let's get into some of the, we, I guess we talked about the broad stroke themes and stuff like that. So let's get down from the 30,000 foot world we were at. Let's get down to the street level because this was kind of a, um, what was it? What did, uh, what was it called? Like a, a um, a ch- not chase movie, but kind of a, a road movie. Yeah. It yeah was road, road movie. So let's get down the road and let's talk about, give me some of the highlights of what you really enjoyed um, personally about the film. What were some things that, that, you know, laugh out loud moments, really great, like, Oh yeah. Or cringeworthy moments, things that, that you, you pulled away. So, I'll, it's funny because the uh, one of the things that stuck out to me about the movie was the the title sequence. Well, not even before we even get to a Tomorrowland sequence. Um, you know, remember how during Turtles Two, you and I both noticed uh, the throwing stars, the throwing the stars? stars in the Paramount yeah. logo. Well, yeah. In this one, Disney's you know Disney always has their castle, and in mm-hmm. this one, the fireworks were going off and exploding, and one of them was an atom, and one of them was a big globe, and they were just very scientific. Uh, Mm -hmm. types of images and i just i don't know why but like i really enjoy (laughs) i just really enjoy that it's like a little small touch that says oh this is a new this is a this is attached to this movie it's not just a normal company logo they actually Mm -hmm. change it to make it you know fit with the film that they're doing and so that puts me in a good place right away um the number one thing though that i would say i really loved about this movie in particular is um What's her name? I gotta look her name up. Raffi Cassidy. Yes. Raffi Cassidy. So her name is Raffi Cassidy, and she plays Athena. Yeah. And she is the star of the show. She steals every scene she's in. Um, you know, George Clooney, for all his star power and his name, um, doesn't do a whole lot special in this film. I mean, he's good, but he just doesn't. You know, for me, he wasn't blow me away like acting wise. He was just solid. Um, but Athena. And her her actress, I mean, gosh, it, the ability for her to play this robot, you know, she puts in an amazing performance. Her facial tics mm-hmm. at certain times, her tone of voice, uh, the way that she just uses her facial expressions to, to say things without words. She is incredible. And every scene she's in, I was completely just bought into and you know attracted to this to the screen because i loved it that's awesome man i I liked her too and i i like that i didn't know that she was a robot until she started kind of freaking out a little bit um which which was nice because that was one of the um one of the story arcs was was frank kind of coming to grips with the fact that he had he doesn't officially say it, but we we see him sort of almost say it, and we see his his sort of 
story being played out that, that he fell in love with her as a kid. You know, he fell in love with this girl and he found out that she wasn't real. And so it made that moment when, when she's dying that much more poignant of the fact that being a robot wasn't, you know, wasn't something that she had to apologize for, but that she began to connect with him on a human level and stuff like that. And I'm glad that they didn't go into too much detail with that. We didn't want to get into kind of AI type stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I thought that her performance overall was just um, very genuine and very just simple. It didn't feel complicated to me. Um, she was fun to watch on the screen, especially with her interactions with Frank. Yeah. The the two of them had good, good chemistry for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever they were interacting together and, you know, another thing, probably that I guess I, that's not the big, biggest thing about the film. The best thing about the movie to me is that it gives us a sense of Spielberg wonder. So I just recently watched and did a review of uh, Super 8, and we talked about how Spielberg kind of was a master of this sense of awe in his films. And this did a lot of that for me, too. The showing of Tomorrowland in the beginning, um, the little kind of subtler, smaller ways in which, you know, other information was revealed, i.e. the comic book store, or I guess when a comic book store, the the little... Blast from the past yeah, shop. Yeah, the blast from the past shop. Um, and, you know, ray guns that were actually laser guns and smiling robot assassins, you know, who just always have this permagrin. Just, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, the Eiffel Tower being a rocket ship. The, yeah. Those kind of things, those all just really were just kind of like I could buy into that mm-hmm. and I didn't have to have as much meat character wise because the visuals of what I was seeing and the ideas of what was being shown uh, took me to a, a place where I could really appreciate it. Well, and, and you are, you are hitting on an idea from Frank as a little kid. I, I'm going to call attention to um, um, it's one of those things where um He's talking to Hugh Laurie's character who um, I didn't <laughs> I was such an idiot. I couldn't I didn't pick I didn't point him out. I didn't recognize him until after the movie was over. I was like, where do I know that guy from? I mean and I said, Oh, it's it's house without yep. the king, you know. Yep, sure and is. without the <laughs> still the attitude, but not necessarily without with the cane. But it's the moment when when Frank meets him and um he he's kind of dismissing him because it doesn't work or something like that. Or he says, Hey, what, what, what does this contribute to, to what we're doing here? How is this a, you know, how is this contributing? And he goes, can it just be fun? And he goes, well, how does that help? And he follows it up. Frank says, look, if I saw a kid flying a rocket, you know, having a rocket on his back flying around, I'd be, I'd be inspired too. And I, I really think that spoke to what this movie sort of, um, encapsulates this idea that sometimes fun can be a motivating factor and seeing something, experience that idea of fun. It doesn't have to, these things can exist together. This idea of good, good themes and big ideas can exist in a world of fun that it doesn't have to necessarily be serious and, and somber all the time. Yep. I completely agree with you. And that's exactly where the film lies for me is, is it's fun. Um, it's not a favorite that's a serious favorite. It's a fun favorite. Um, mm-hmm. Frank, actually, it's it's interesting that you, because that's one of my favorite parts of the movie that you're talking about, but 
Later, he actually says almost the same thing verbatim to Casey when he's older. Mm-hmm. And he says to her when they're getting in the machine that's going to zap them from wherever they are in the U.S. to uh, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower. You know, they're going to like go nutso and lose all their blood sugar. And, he's, <laughs> and he says. That cracked me up, by the way. Oh, it's, hol- it's hilarious. One of the best parts, too, is just when she's like guzzling both of the Cokes and he's just like shakes his. He's just kind of like puts his head down and shakes his head like, come on, man, I don't get anything. <laughs> Um, but he says to her, he says, do I have to explain everything? Can't you just be amazed and move on? Yeah. And he, so he reiterates it, you know, and he's, it it also shows us, you know, a little bit of character development there that he, he's an old curmudgeon to an, you know, because he's got these, these historical things that have happened to him that have led him to be that way. And understandably so, but at his core, he's still that kid who believes that things can just be fun and can be awesome and amazing and incredible. And they don't have to have a point yet. The point can come later. Right. And then again, I think we see even more character development with him in that last scene where one of the recruiters asks if he can ask a question. And Frank says, sure, because throughout the whole movie with, with Casey, he he hates when she's asking questions. And so again, these, the dialogue in my opinion was probably one of the standout pieces of the movie um did damon lindelof write help help pin the screenplay he's uh, the guy behind believe so he wrote lost right yeah he was one of the he was one of the showrunners behind yeah. lost and i and i think you know some people don't like his screenwriting I, I thought his screenwriting was great in this but there were some great lines of dialogue that i thought were either spoke to the overall big ideas of the movie or was just funny I love in the beginning when when Frank says, "When I was a kid, the future was different." <laughs> that just sounds weird to say. Yeah, yeah. Some of <laughs> and, them were definitely hilarious. And uh, Athena asking him as a young kid, "Did you build this yourself? Why?" And Frank goes, "I guess I just got tired of waiting around for someone to do it for me." Um, I think, uh, and and the other big line was, um, Casey saying, "I think it was to her younger brother." She said it's hard to have ideas and easy to give up. And so she there's this really interesting from a just just from a literary standpoint this interesting juxtaposition between the words hard and easy and there's some real truth to that. So I thought those were some really great lines from the movie. Yeah, there's another one too where Athena says um after she rescues Casey and they're in the truck, well, actually after she gets ran over by a truck and Casey <laughs> steals the truck and then she catches up to the truck and Casey's sitting there going how the heck did you do that? Um, <laughs> she says, which way do you want to go backwards or forward? And, mm-hmm. and I mean, th- it, it was not subtle. So the film's yeah. use of, of these, these preaching, mo- these preaching words, <laughs> you know, to try and beat us over the head with, Hey, be inspired. It's okay. Go out and do stuff, go out and believe and, and use your imagination. and, and be excited about these things and enjoy the awe and the wonder that is around you that exists. Um, they're not subtle, but yeah. they're good messages. So it's okay. In my opinion. I mean, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we, we take everything for granted. Even, even yeah. today, you know what I mean? I mean, the fact that we are sitting here over how many thousands of miles recording something together, you know, that's going to go out and be able to be heard by, anyone in the world right. you know the, the fact that these things exist is incredible we have mm. satellites in space that do all kinds of amazing things we have a rover on mars driving around collecting samples and we take all of these things for granted 
a lot of times. Uh, and I think that's what the film is getting at. You know, it's someone has to keep thinking those things up or it stops at some point. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do personal testimony if I can real quick. Um, as I talked about last week, I got to participate in a film project where I got to direct and write and someone asked me, you know, how was it? And I said, I think the one word that I can take away from that was a beautiful challenge. So that's not a word. That's more like a phrase. So bear with me. Give me some grace there. But they asked me what I meant by that. And I said, you know, when you have 48 hours to do all these things, to come up with an idea, to script it, to, to film it, to edit it, to score it, all these things, none of which I did by myself by any means, but to, to see a final product on the screen, whether it's your computer screen or on a television, or this week we're going to be screen, they're going to be screening all of them for the awards and stuff. So to see it on a big theatrical screen, you take away a sense of, of real ownership of what you've created. And there's a lot of pride that goes into that, but you're, you're looking back and you're going, that was tough because there were times in those two days where I'm going, how do I get past this plot hole? Um, how do I direct this person? How do I, how do I continue to motivate these, these kids who have been sitting here doing nothing for four hours and we've been outside the whole time in Arkansas weather that ranges from the summer between 95 and 140, it feels like. So, you know, you walk away exhausted, you walk away just completely spent. And at the same time, you walk away going, that was amazing. And I think that's where what she says is that good ideas are hard. It wasn't that we had a good idea. I mean, who knows what this could do, but this experience personally has led me to want to do more in that. So at the very least, the good idea was me participating at that level in this project. And I know that the things I do from here on out in that world are going to be even tougher, but the payoff and the experience of going through those things is just as valuable and just as fulfilling and that, to me, I think is where you have this really interesting kind of uh, paradox or irony or juxtaposition of something being incredibly hard but incredibly fulfilling at the same time. I'm sure athletes feel this way when they finally get to like the Olympics and they, you know, they either get a medal or they just finish a race or, or whatever. But you know, the challenge of doing something that you're passionate about. Um, and leading to the fulfillment of that, whether it's a film being made or a race being won or whatever, I think that's where, in a lot of ways, this film really pushes is that to get to the place you want to be, the place of real personal greatness or whatever, you have to work hard. And sometimes it means failing and hurting. Okay. I'm going to put my soapbox right over here to the left and we can continue. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. No, it's a a good soapbox to go on. Um, it's, it's a good point to be made and it's, it's incredibly tied to this movie and what this movie is trying to tell us that we need to do. And we need to get up out of our chair, get off our butt and go and create and go and be inspired and move forward and not backwards. There's, there's lots of those good messages in there. Um, any other stuff that you found pretty, uh, pretty incredible. I will say this. There's, there's one incredible, one ah, there's the pun for the episode. We needed, a, so, we, needed yeah. a, we needed a pun. That yeah. was incredible. That was incredible. <laughs> there was a Mr. Incredible action figure. Right. Behind I will Casey say at one point that I thought was pretty funny. 
Yeah, I will say to our listeners, go to the trivia on the IMDb page and you'll hear, you'll see a lot of, uh, Easter eggs that were thrown into the movie. Some, a lot of which I didn't catch, but some of which you absolutely will. The blast from the past store, which by the way, I could spend all day in, at least until it exploded. Um, you know, has had a ton of little, little, Easter eggs towards most of the Disney franchises. Um, so it was very cool. One of the really cool things I liked was, um, I think there was a line where Athena, she, she calls the, uh, the weapon that freezes, um, Hugo and his quote unquote wife, a time bomb. Yep. Thought that was hilarious. Great little visual pun there. And I also like the, the hologram dog that Frank uses that that was cool. And then two times, not once I caught it actually only caught it once the first time, but the second time I wanted to make sure I caught it both times. Um, uh, Casey, when she goes to sabotage the platform, the NASA platform, about a hundred feet from the fence where she's going to stop, she turns her motorcycle off completely and basically just glides to a stop with no sound. I thought that was really cool. I'd never seen that done with a motorcycle. So it was really cool. Awesome. So, you know, we always try to have that one moment that we connected with the most, um, in the film that we saved just to talk a little bit extra about, uh, I guess, I, I guess we could say it's our connecting point as you coined that wonderful phrase. And for me, I've mentioned it a couple times already. But for me, it was the opening scene, the opening sequence. Um, everything about that was just, it set the tone for me of what kind of um, awe was going to be shown. Um, I, it made me want to go to the World's Fair, first of all. I've never been to something like that, but it certainly made me want to go and see all these inventions and all of these incredible things. Um, the fact that the way to get to Tomorrowland in the beginning was to go through the It's a Small World ride, I thought was <laughs> awesome. I love that ride. And I was just, I was imagining myself in that ride, you know, that I've gone on many times and like all of a sudden, you know, the, the bottom drops out and I'm, I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> Make um, sure you wear your pin. You yeah. Your I, pin. I needed to wear my pin next time I go to Disneyland and we'll see what happens. <laughs> but like that whole sequence just, you know, him going and then the rob, ro the rocket, the robot helping fix his rocket pack and him being able to fly around and see this new place, you know, and ultimately crashing this thing. And just the look on Nix's face when he sees that he's there and she's, you know, giving him a pen and against his wishes. It's just, it's all, it's just kind of like, he's like rolling his eyes. Like, I ah, knew it. <laughs> knew you were going to do this. And it, everything about it, it just gave me the biggest sense of wonder. Uh, that I would get the entire movie and it it made me want to see more of that because I was so just um, completely inspired by what that kid had said about wanting to you know you said you uh, quoted him you know he said can't it just be fun if I saw a rocket pack I'd be inspired isn't that enough like that's it should be enough and that's what that whole sequence showed me and I just loved every single bit of it that's great, man. I really enjoyed that that opening sequence too, and I love the last line that he says um, when he lands, and he goes, "It works now." <laughs> and Nick's just when he rolls his eyes. That's that so perfect. great. Yeah, it was great. And then I think Clooney at the it, it pans back to Clooney as an adult, and he goes, "And then that's when the future went to crap or whatever." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's also. I mean, I, I know I'm kind of interjecting here in the middle of this, but that that was also a great artistic choice i thought 
Um, mm-hmm. I like movies that start at the end without giving us the full picture and work their way forward. And that's what this did. You know, we, we had these little, I, this little piece of an idea because we could see a clock, but we didn't really know what everything meant yet. And so it was revealed in little pieces of the past going forward, but they were recording this in the future, you know, and it was, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the the way that the film was put together. Yeah, and I think I one of my notes was I, I like that this film is very meta because at the time that I wrote that, I thought they were talking to me. Like I thought they were actually speaking to a real audience, like a theatrical audience, when in reality they were speaking to, again, I, I, this may be my just naive or my just not getting it, but then I saw that they were talking to little kids. And I was like, oh, wait, no, they're not. They're talking to AAs. We're talking to robots. <laughs> And it's just more unpacking. I thought that was really great. So what about you? Uh, Did you have a connecting point? Yes, I did. It was actually two scenes that I I put together um, that what I thought made a big broad stroke uh, comment. Um, I thought Hugo, (laughs) excuse me, I thought Hugo in The Blast from the Past Door was really great Um, from his entrance with the, the Star Wars <laughs> the door. entrance, dun, 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 you know, dun, dun, and, and then the, the door, door closes closing. like, and she's like, see, if you just come in, it's like, why are you ruining this? This is supposed to be, you know, whatever. You can just see him genuinely getting annoyed with, <laughs> with the door and then with his quote unquote wife. Um, but he's at, um, Casey asks him, you know, what's so important about the pen? And he says, you know, imagine a place physical or otherwise, where a person is unhindered by the limitations of the world around them. Um, A place where, and he just goes on this big speech about describing, uh, I think we talked about this earlier, a place where your ideas are not edited, where you have um, unlimited freedom to be able to think of the craziest thing and to and to flesh it out without the bureaucracy or the, the politics of the world around you. Um, imagine a place like that existed. And when he describes that and you couple that with the very last scene, the montage of the, of the musician, of the car designer, of the, of the scientist, of the, um, environmentalist, what you see is this overall theme of optimism, seeing the world in terms of what could be, what could be rather than what is or what it has been. And it brings with it a real sense of power and motivation. And, you know, that scene with, with Hugo would have been great, but I think it was paid off by that last montage because like you mentioned earlier, these are quote unquote regular people. These are real people that exist in the world that we know of. These are not super geniuses. These are not folks that have four or five PhDs in various types of scientists and sciences that can't be pronounced. These are people that are passionate about what they do, that they care about what they do and what they do matters to the world. And so as a creative person, as a designer specifically, I got connected with that because it told me that the way that I look at the world creatively matters to the world. Am I, and I think you and I have mentioned this on the show, or I've mentioned this to you off, off, offline that we're, we're not changing the world with our conversation, but we're doing something that people are listening. And so there is value there. And the feedback that we're getting from our listeners about what they think of a movie and, and what they want to share with us and what we share with them, there's value there because there's a good sense of community. So in a sense, what we are doing does matter. 
Um, and so when I see those two scenes together, that really brings about that big idea that I, I've kind of fallen in love with. That's good stuff, man. I guess that's uh, about all we have. Aaron, um, where can people find you on the superwebs if they want to get in touch with you or talk about this movie or other things? I have no idea where someone can find me on a superweb. I don't know what that is. Uh, it sounds very scary. There sounds it's like in- there would be lots of spiders. No, it no, it's it's in Tomorrowland, I guess. Oh well, I want to go there. Um, <laughs> na- now I want to go there. Um, okay. Well, what about the internet? How about the internet? The, oh, the internet. That see, that's been a, that's been invented. I can tell them that. So if you want to like, find you- me on the internet, you can find me at uh, Aaron L White A A R O N E L W H I T E Twitter, Facebook, etc. Um, you can find me um, on the show's Twitter and Facebook as well. Feel and Film. If you want to tweet to us, F E E L I N F I L M. We also have a Facebook group that's being you know more and more active by the day. It's a great place to come and give us your thoughts. Tell us what you either agreed or disagreed with about our thoughts and also about the movies that we talk about in general or bring up your own movie. People are posting all the time saying, hey, I'm watching this film, and then all of a sudden a conversation happens about it. Uh, I, this is one of my favorite things to see uh, happen, is especially even when it's something I don't care about. Right. It's like somebody posting that they're watching a certain uh, Miyazaki animated movie. And all of a sudden I see a bunch of comments on that thread and people are interacting. And I just really enjoy that. Um, so please that's tell me you don't please tell me you don't care about Miyazaki. Don't no, don't tell me you don't care about Miyazaki. I, if you're what? trying to ask me if I like Miyazaki. Yes, I like yeah. Miyazaki. I'm okay. just saying okay. I have an, I have a limited uh, history of watching his films. I haven't seen them all yet, so I can't <sighs> join the comment on all of them. Gosh, man, made my pulse kind of start bracing a little bit. No, I... lots to okay. lots to catch up on. Um, Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's the that's where you can find me if you want to find me. What about you? You can find me at Shoeless Patch on Twitter, S H O E L E S S, as well as that same handle um, at uh, on Facebook as well. Cool. Well, next week we are doing Star Trek Beyond. Very excited it's... for Fast and Furious in Space. Anxious to see what the new direction is. How about you? You you excited about that? I am. I am. And before we before we depart to the uh, the place where no no person no individual has gone before, um, I want to make one quick recommendation. Sorry, um, I was going to make one quick recommendation. Uh, there's a book recommend. There's a book out there that I'd like to recommend called Creative Confidence by Tom and David Kelly. It speaks to a lot of what we talked about on on this episode, dealing with the fact that. They, their their premise is that everybody's creative and the whole book talks to the fact of how we can bring out that creativity in all of us. It's one of the staples in my library as a designer and I'd highly recommend it. Cool. Is that, I'm assuming that's on Amazon, probably pretty affordable too. So yeah, you can find it there or yeah, any place. Library that maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly. Great. So. Well, if you're interested in that, feel free to check that out and let Patrick know what you thought once you read it. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Well, that's it for us. So until next time, stay positive and keep feeling film.